Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Atlas Loom, an exploration of world building for tabletop and beyond. My name is Endeavorance, and with me, as always, is a thief who just got her biggest score, but then realized that she doesn't have anyone to fence it to, Diana of the Rose. The score was Endeavorance's heart. Well, damn, the biggest score of a lifetime. Uh, or the smallest score of a lifetime. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, are we going if Grinch I'm... lore here? Or are we going Well, like... I mean, the Grinch started off with the super tiny heart, right? But then, like, it grew three sizes in one day, which seems medically inadvisable. Mm -hmm. So are we talking pre or post Christmas Grinch? I don't know. How developed as a person do you feel? On a scale Extra... of pre-Grinch to post-Grinch? Uh, I feel I feel truly mid Grinch, I think, is where I'm at right now. You know, I've got a lot of changes. I'm learning a lot. I'm seeing something from a new perspective for the first time. And it's really changing the way that I think about things, um, which is to say, I'm going to go steal a bunch of people's presents now. Uh, Amazing. So, Diana, you're going to do the rest of this episode. I'll be back once I have stolen all the. What do they have? What did they get in the in Whoville? They got like presents, wing doos, and, and flub, flub gloves and fucked up noses. Cool. Okay. Roast beef. Sounds good. We're off to a great start. Well, speaking of who's in who, this is a perfect segue. Speaking of who's <laughs> in Whoville, today's episode of the critically acclaimed podcast, The Atlas Loom, uh, is about NPCs. Yeah. And and the lives therein yep all those fake little townspeople that you populate your fake little world with we are here to teach you how to do that in an effective manner um and also make it so that your players fall in love with your npcs or intentionally so that they don't jumping right into it dev you said you had a lot to talk about this episode is there anything like do you have any sort of seedlings that you want to give the people any ideas as to how you go about creating memorable npcs npcs are tough uh, for reasons that are possibly not what you might expect, coming up with the NPCs, giving them descriptions, giving them personalities, I find that to be fairly simple. And maybe that's maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just the kind of DM that I like to be. What's hard for me is making sure the players don't hate the NPCs that I'm putting in front of them. Primarily because I have a long history of attempting to make NPCs specifically for my players to like them. And my players catch on to that and then hate the NPCs out of spite. And so <laughs> there's a thin line to walk between designing good quality characters and presenting those characters in such a way that your players see them as a participant in the world that they're in and not a, hi, I have a quest marker over my head or, hey, you're supposed to like me. That has been a long, arduous process for me to learn. Yeah. Honestly, some of the best successful examples, too, could just be picked apart to base pieces. Like, if you look at what makes a good NPC out of Critical Role, right? As soon as I say Critical Role NPC, everyone thinks of the fucking, what's his name? The guy, the gunpowder salesman. It was basically Matt Mercer throwing on the most unhinged voice that he had in his repertoire and then role-playing a gunpowder salesman who was so insane. He had gunpowder just floating around his shop. It was unstored, unkempt. Ever the entire place could have gone up and become a crater at any given point in time. He had like missing fingers on his hands and he just had the wildest accent. And so things like that, right? If you take that, that is one of the most memorable NPCs, not just in that campaign, but in all of Critical Role and all of actual plays. 
what makes him wild? What makes him fun? What makes him interesting? First of all, the accent. But we we're 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 mortals. We're not Mad Mercer. We can't do accents, and we shouldn't learn to rely on those. So well, instead, we'll have an episode on that. We will with an outside expert help uh coming in because we are not accent people. Oh, I'm, yeah. Let me rephrase. We will host an episode on that. Yeah. We're just going to give it to Seb, him and my microphone, be like, here, do your thing. Entertain our audience. There you go, buddy. But there are a set of things that make an NPC worthwhile. Besides the accent, you also have physicality, right? Mm-hmm. That NPC in particular, he was missing a couple fingers on his hands. There are other NPCs who have physical, noticeable aspects to them. Things like the fact that they're in a wheelchair or they're not human. People don't use the not human thing enough, by the way. If you make an NPC, please, for the love of God, introduce some racial diversity to it. Like, the, there are so many races in D&D, and the fact that we, every single NPC is a human gets just kind of boring, and it's so easy for them to fall to the wayside when it comes to what your players remember. Maybe I want a shopkeeper who's a thry cream, you know? Maybe I'm going to make Strahd into a gif. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. It's fun. It's interesting. And you can roll, you can also, I mean, as you were alluding to there, like you can reach for more than just character races. You know, you could like, there are plenty of perfectly sentient monsters that you can pull as NPCs. You know, maybe you might need to bend a few alignments, but you can pull any kind of monsters you want if they're, you know, even if they are or are not sentient. We live in a, we're working in a, we're working in the concept of, you're designing a world. First of all, if we step back from, from 5e specifically, and we just say abstractly, you're designing a world, they don't even need to be humanoids. You could just have your shopkeeper be a glob of, of some sort of green goop and keeps all of their wares inside of themselves for safekeeping. And just is like a portable shop. Hey, it's me, Globby. Globby the <laughs> shopkeep. Globby there, we've shop- made the best new NPC. We love Globby here. Globby's going to be our first merch. Does anyone want a Globby oh plush? Oh my god. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlas Loom, a plush ideation podcast. I am your host, Diana of the Rose. <laughs> Imagine a water weird, right? That's a monster in theory, Ooh. but they don't have to be bad. Maybe he runs a little aquarium and he just likes playing with his little fish and he doesn't actually want to sell anything. He just likes showing off. But the only way the town will let him stay there is because if he sells something, you know, something like that. A uh, another great example on a very great podcast is, I guess, podcast show Dimension 20 season one has a NPC who runs an ice cream parlor, and I believe they're an ice genie. And that's just lovely. So he like manifests, he like summons ice cream from from a plane of ice rather than being an ice cream, being just like a human who does ice cream. And that's that's so much fun. Like that's that's such a good way to go about adding more flavor i super super agree with the notion of bringing out more than just human yeah and going back to what you said too about alignments and things like that taking and this is just like the old the easiest thing possibly the best tool that any world builder can have in their repertoire is taking a preconceived notion of a certain type of creature and then turning it on its head so for instance what you mentioned earlier monsters being npcs if you twist their alignments imagine a beholder right Almost like the Xanathar, but not evil. Maybe it's good. Maybe it pulled a card from the deck of many things. And I forget which card it is. I have the deck of many things on me, but I don't, they're not, I'd have to look it up. Fuck it, I'm going to look it up. time? But it's so many things. So many things. It could be any one of them. He pulls the, is it balance? I think it is. Whatever card it is that flips your alignment around entirely on its head. All of a sudden, that beholder is no longer evil. It is good. How does that impact? 
who they are. How will your characters interact with this new creature going into it thinking that they're an evil thing that needs to be vanquished and then deciding, oh, actually, this guy's really cool. He offered me tea, <laughs> you know, asked us to sit down, wants to give us a quest. So taking a, a notion of something based on its physicality, based on its role in the world, and then flipping that on its head is a really good way to surprise your players and make your character memorable through that aspect of surprise. Uh, and this works in real life, too. If you dress a certain way and people assume that you act a certain way based on how you dress and then you surprise them by not doing that, <laughs> that's so much fun. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting off into <laughs> psychology here, but like my favorite thing is dressing as like a give, getting like an alt goth girl vibe and then just being like a normal smiley sort of person. I do the same thing personally. Yeah. The wig really looks good on you today, by the way. Thank you. I've always been an alt goth girl at heart. Let's be real. So uh, reeling it back in just a smidge, though, because as much as I, God, I want to sit here and just do an entire episode about picking monsters and what what role in a standard town they would be perfect for. <laughs> Can you imagine a beholder bartending? God, that'd oh, be so goodness. fun. It'd also, the so eye ray good. that like levitates things, the telekinesis yep. ray. So it'd be mm -hmm. efficient. Not to mention the, the inherent security of the uh, the silence gaze. So oh, that yeah. or the anti-magic gaze. So it's like, you know, no one's casting spells in here. All right. I don't want I don't want to see anybody slinging any magic missiles out here. All right. This is a peaceful. This is a place of respite uh, and very good drinks. But like I said, that that's an entire freaking episode. Uh, reeling it back in, even just to sort of like more standard humanoid races for NPCs, making sure that you are picking races that either lend themselves to a specific role quite well or break that mold pretty well your gnomish barbarian that is a a hero for some reason has like all these tales of them felling these massive creatures and it's like as improbable as it is may maybe it's a lie maybe it's all made up or maybe you think it's a lie but it turns out they're really really strong but i i'm a big fan of leaning in to the physicality of the different races as well. So I rolled a campaign recently where there was a, I, I like some cliches perhaps, but there was an arena segment where the players were uh, sort of like fighting in a fighting ring, more or less, that, that was sort of the whole draw of the town that they were in. And they were trying to both make money off of the fighting and also meet and discover the champions to learn more about them and, and expose them because there were some secrets and conspiracies. And the organizer of the pit, his name was Glom. And he was a orc who was just this big, old, grizzly orc. And it's really easy when you start with orc to make one of the most intimidating characters possible because I essentially needed to have a character who would TPK my party need be if they're getting out of hand if they're getting a little rowdy i need this man to be able to chop them all in half and sometimes you just need to make a big threatening guy that outclasses your players very clearly so having giant buff orc dude with huge broadsword as simple as it may be is sometimes the right choice although i will say that the npc in that campaign that could have actually annihilated all of them was the, was the chef of their no. uh home base but that's because oh she's God. a she was a retired monk who also did a whole bunch of doesn't matter i don't need to tell you about all my campaigns no i fucking Point love it being, it gives the same vibe as like the starbucks barista who's ripped for no reason <laughs> she was she was a a super super strong former monk or a former fighting monk 
uh, she fell in love with one of the player characters uh, who was the barbarian in the group, and he was completely clueless to the whole thing. But she was she was constantly doting on the whole player group because she wanted to get in with him, and he just never understood that she was coming onto him very very strongly. Like that was the the character dynamic there. Very very fun. I fucking love that. <laughs> but that's another thing you can do. Um, I mean, besides, I mean, first of all. Every DM should have some NPC in their pocket that's like a break glass in case of emergency, put my party in their place sort of thing. I just think it's fun having someone who can uh, completely out of nowhere threaten the party with a TPK. I just think it's fun. Um, and maybe that's me, the evil DM in me. But. I think that's a good place for us to start talking about power and the fact that your world is just a landscape if you don't have people in it. When I'm thinking about NPCs, and especially when I'm introducing characters into a world, and especially if they're little wee baby characters that, that are just starting off, you're going to have tiers of characters. You're going to have your, your common NPCs, the ones who, who need you to go find their frying pan if you're Geralt of Rivia. Uh, you've got your mid-tier people who are maybe some merchants or just like local property owners or people that have just the tiniest shred of power. And then you've got your bureaucrats, your magistrates. And then beyond that, you've got your ascendant scholars and kings and spy masters, people who wield essentially unimaginable power in your world. I really like to introduce essentially a few people from each of those tiers relatively early on as a reminder of your place in this world. For example, here is a legendary wizard who roams the world. He, he's nomadic and is known for essentially maintaining peace because he's just so freaking powerful and he just roams around and is some sort of folklore hero. And he could crush you if you step out of line. You are not special in this world. You are a level one little runt and, and you are a pebble to this man. And whether or not he is actively your enemy or if he's just some guy, like he's not inherently evil, but it's a reminder of, hey, actions have consequences. Point being, I really like reminding the players that while, yes, the typical NPC is going to be just some random farm boy who's like i lost my cattle or there's some hellhound that's been harassing our ranch can you go slay them for this intro mission there are big players doing big player things that have nothing to do with you that are so far removed from you you can't even imagine and if you get in their way they will not hesitate to crush you wake up bitches we're not in skyrim anymore <laughs> so good especially like the concept of there always being a bigger fish is so so good. A lot of people describe it in TTRPGs as far as like, uh, you know, you encounter a monster or your party is hunting this monster and then you come across its corpse because there was a bigger monster around the corner, that sort of thing. You can do that with NPCs too. Nothing's mm -hmm. stopping you. There's nothing wrong with building up an NPC as this big deal and then killing them immediately when the players meet them by the much bigger actual threat. God, so good. The bet it's like that oh shit moment that every DM wants to execute and every player wants mm -hmm. to be a part of. So yeah, use NPCs for that purpose by all means. They are your puppets, quite <laughs> literally. And so are the players. The players, yeah, of course. God, I have so many things I want to talk about, and I have no idea how to order these. So let's just fucking go. So on the topic of power, introducing NPCs with various motives, things happening beyond the immediate perspective of the players. 
I love it when there is a sense of progression among the goals of the big player NPCs in the world. So the, those like top two tiers that I mentioned, I love when those NPCs are making moves while the players are doing their thing so that they can see that, again, the world is not really waiting for them. And also they can see the impacts of the sway and power that these NPCs have. And once your players start to get, you know, once they grow up and, and leave, the, leave home, go off to college, they can feel so much more accomplished for, from looking back to we were young lads and we were just living in their world. But now I'm face to face with this guy who previously was responsible for like my, my favorite little town being demolished because this person started a war or whatever. And now I'm looking at them face to face where once they were just a name and, and a uh, some, some sort of foreboding concept. Now they're real and here. And to do that, a tool that I think should be in every DM's pocket for both managing on your own and also, if you want to, you can expose these to your players, are clocks. So if you're not familiar, clocks are, I mean, again, they're, they're from a few different places, but again, I'm a big simp for Blades in the Dark. Clocks are a concept of essentially just tracking progression of world events. They can be used in a bunch of different ways. So in, for example, Blades, they can be used for how much time is remaining until the guards are alerted to your presence while you're performing some heist. And clocks are, at least in blades, they are drawn as a circle that is then bisected either four, six, or eight times. Hello, dear listener. This is Endeavorance in Post. I was listening back to this episode and it bugged me how wrong I got this description of clocks, considering I use them all the time. Start with a circle and then bisect it one, two, three, or four times. Think like a wagon wheel, right? For each time that you bisect it, you're going to get two extra circle chunks we'll go with circle chunks so you're gonna have two four six or eight total circle chunks in your clock and once you've filled out all of those chunks once you've colored them all in uh, then the clock has completed to figure out how many to color in you roll a d6 in blades in the dark there's a table that tells you what the d6 result is and how many chunks of the circle to fill in based on that but you can really do this however you want. You could go as simple as just pick a number and like roll a d4 every once in a while and subtract that number or subtract the d4 from that number. And, and that's how you could measure when clocks are done. It's up to you. I like the clock method. It's nice and visual, easy to make them, easy to draw them real quick. But really, it's just a matter of taking care of ongoing threads instead of letting them fall by the wayside. Okay, that's enough. Uh, back to the actual episode. All right. Uh, love you, bye. And so for me, with big, big sweeping NPC goals, for any big NPC, I state what their goal is. What are, the, what are they trying to do? What is this person's MO? And that usually results in, okay, well, here is their clock for accomplishing their goal. And that clock could just be forward momentum towards the next step of whatever their big goal is. It doesn't have to be they accomplish their whole goal. But I'll say like, okay, this big NPC is trying to do this big political move or cast this massive spell or find this big hidden artifact. And while the players are doing stuff, maybe once a session or once per long rest, I will roll for that NPC's clock and I will fill in the results. I will either tell the players that what I'm doing or I will just do the classic ominous DM is rolling some dice. What are they doing? <laughs> Love that. 
And so I can just keep a document or a piece of paper or whatever with all the clocks on it. And that helps to sort of set up changes that will happen at some point, but sort of leave it up to a bit of chaos and also provides me with a way to keep track of how where everything is at. So I find clocks to be an extraordinarily useful thing for sort of managing what your NPCs are up to and giving that sense of the world moving forward because of actions taken by NPC. I love that. I didn't know that there was a name for that. But that's like, I've seen that happen in D&D too. It's the easiest way to flesh out quests, deadlines for quests, and NPCs based on their motivations. Because, And if you haven't picked up on this by now, all of your NPCs should have some motivation. Everyone, even mm-hmm. including the teensiest little farmer uh, that your players just happen to steal a chicken from or some such thing. It, he should have a motivation of, I need to feed my family. I need these chickens to stay alive and to stay on my property so I can feed my family with them something like that but bigger motivations when it comes to like for instance curse of straw irena koliana i had to think of her name because i renamed her for my campaign irena mm-hmm. koliana her goal right now is to get away from straw and get away from castle ravenloft if your characters meet her and they don't help her with that driving motivation of hers adding a clock to that and being like okay well then the players don't know this but in three days she is going to go off and attempt to leave town herself with or without their help, it makes the world feel real. And like you said, it, it goes back to not feeling like you're in a video game. It, it's a living, breathing world with living, breathing people or what we want to come off as living, breathing people. Absolutely. The NPC standing around with a quest marker over their head is not the kind of NPC that you want populating your worlds. You want dynamism. You, your NPCs can just fucking die. <laughs> That's a thing that people do. You can have NPCs that have been around forever and they just had some accident and they're gone now. Or you can have NPCs that, you know, maybe something much less mortal. How about you have you have characters that are both bartenders at a tavern and they've got a falling out and they break apart. And now there's two competing taverns on either side of the street. And that's (laughs) just a thing that happened while your players were out doing some adventure and they came back to their favorite go to tavern is now having some drama. It doesn't need to be earth shattering or world ending. Again, think in the terms of tiers, right? You've got your farmer who just needs to, to feed their family and hopefully you didn't steal a chicken from him. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know why people are stealing chicken. Don't steal the chickens from the farmer. He needs that chicken. Uh, and then you've got your world powers who are trying to go for domination or protecting their borders or whatever. The stakes can be whatever they're going to be, but movement at all, any kind of change that happened outside of the player's influence, one, it makes the world feel alive, but two, it reminds the players and it can give some in, some inspiration to players about the fact that we're playing in a totally do whatever you want, anything can happen game here. I can make changes as the DM all I want, and I want you to participate in those changes. So I get to play and mess with this world via the NPCs just as much as the players get to mess with the world via their player characters. And it's very important to remember the agency you have there. Yeah. Fuck with them. They're your plaything. I want to dive a bit more into the construction of an NPC. Because you talked about motivation. And I realize that we're talking a lot about macro level stuff. But I think a really great thing for us to answer in this, in this episode is how the hell do I make an actual character? What, what is the minimum viable set of tools that I should be able to pull out either for making a character that you're building ahead of time with plenty of, of heads up and you're writing it into the campaign or you're in the seat and you need a character and you didn't have them. What do you need right now for this NPC? And I think maybe we should start with that with the latter 
and talk about what is what critical things should you reach for first if you need to essentially ad lib a new character because that's going to also be true for a fully fleshed out npc which is just that plus more i think bare minimum you need obviously like a name uh, a physical description a motivation and then base surface level mannerisms right and this could be anything from the accent that your character has like for instance in a world i'm playing in right now run by the lovely endo dms all of the dwarves in his world are russian as opposed to scottish <laughs> or irish that's like instantly applying that to an entire race that's your traits and your immediate standout you know mannerism taken care of as far as names go, I honestly, and I recommend everyone do this, I just have a little spreadsheet that I have of different races in the first column and then potential names first and last in the second and third columns for that race. And I've got a series of options, essentially. So if I say, oh, your characters come across a half elf, their name is consults list, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Arafine Lyadel, some such thing. And then after I I'm done with that. I just did you back. just did you just come up with that off the dome? No, that was uh, my first ever my my first ever PC. Uh, okay, rest in peace. Oh, that was real good. Only played for like three weeks and then got lost to the abyss. She had a 14 page backstory too. She had character art. Someone made fan art of her, even though I barely played her. Holy shit! Hey yo, I miss Arafine so bad, dude. Oh, she was so cool. But I recommend you keep that on hand. Every DM should have just a fallback list of names and then once you're done of course make notes on which names you use scratch them off the list and whatnot and you can do the same thing for physicality so you can get a list of hair colors hairstyles pants colors and styles shirt colors and styles and then just jump around a grid of options and be like okay this person has white hair in two braids loose baggy pants and then a shirt that's stitched and full of patches as if they've used it over and over again really it's like randomly generating without randomly generating <laughs> I know we're going to do an episode on how to describe worlds and whatnot, mm -hmm. but for me, this is just inextricably linked, I think, for how I approach making NPCs out of nothing. I don't remember where this came from. I spread this tip whenever possible. Come up with just two things about them, Phys like two obvious physical traits about the NPC, literally whatever. Your players are not going to remember the entire description of them. Every player is going to remember different things about them. So you can absolutely give a nice full description, especially for important NPCs. Give a nice, full, strong depiction of who they are. For Stan Granley that uh, runs the Stan Granley Granary, um, oh he, he just has a hook nose and a missing left foot. And that's all you really like. Like You can say anything else about him, but you know who what your players are going to remember? Oh, yeah, the guy that's missing a foot. That's what they're going to remember. And that's that's going to give them something to refer to this throwaway NPC as because they're going to unless you have a really great person who's describing everything and writing down every single NPC name and whatnot. You weren't ready with this NPC name. They're not probably all that actually worried about the NPC name. This is more of a character to fill the scene that you're in, but probably matters to your players a lot more than, they, than it matters to you. And so giving them something to think back to and conceptualize. I find that it's just a lot easier to keep track of NPCs by physical trait rather than their name, which is probably going to be nonsense to begin with, and the town that they were from, in which they're probably meeting a whole bunch of NPCs there anyway. It's a lot easier to get to that one visceral description of the dude who doesn't have a foot. Be aware of the fact that if you do something like a missing foot, your characters are going to ask, hey, how'd you lose your foot if you work at a granary? Um, <laughs> so I lost it in a horrible grain accident. 
grain related injuries the number one mm. cause of death small town a um <laughs> small town number three <laughs> but i i also strongly endorse what you said about make sure they have a motivation i think that matters i think having on hand some sort of basic motivation depending on the type of npc i really like something that is either a secret that they're holding you know like if you can yeah, this is a little harder to come up with on the spot but a secret that they're holding that if it got out it would either ruin them or it's like their biggest fear i think it helps a lot when for you as the dm to know the answer to those questions what is the, what is this npc you know beyond just what do they sound like what's their accent why are they how they are and that will help you ad lib so much better if you can just kind of get into that very simple headspace of this npc and so it's not just generic character interaction number four, and is instead, I am currently interacting with this party, and I really need to make sure that they don't find my trapdoor. Like, I'm not used to having people here. I don't want them to find my trapdoor. And that's going to influence what that character does in that scenario. They're going to maybe shift their weight over onto the trapdoor so that it's being held down shut. Or they're, why are they standing in that spot? They're like really interested in not moving from the spot that they're in. Or they're being really terse and they don't want the players to be in their storeroom anymore. And so they're just like, okay, I've answered your questions. Um, is, can you get out? <laughs> it gives you more to work with very quickly rather than just being a person doing an accent and talking to people. Speaking of talking to people and doing the accent though, We've talked about like physical descriptions of NPCs and how you can come up with base stuff like their name and their motivation and stuff that the PCs might not fully see right away. But how do you deal with fleshing out an NPC's personality or do you? How do you make it so that every single character isn't just endeavorance in a different font? Unfortunately, some some characters do end up just being endeavorance in a different font. And that just happens because it happens. However, if we're talking about characters that we're pre-writing, that we're preparing ahead of time, it's a lot harder to do a fully-fledged personality ad-lib, but I, I try. But ahead of time, I will start by coming up with essentially five adjectives to describe their personality. Uh, usually a little bit more than that, but I will start with, with that, and I will also start with influences, either popular media characters or other NPCs that I have done before, or people in my life. Um, you know, this this character is a lot like my dog, Flynn. Uh, I, <laughs> the goodest boy. The goodest boy. This character is just the goodest boy incarnate. With those words in mind, it starts to become a lot more clear who they are, how they're presenting themselves, and why. And those words don't have to stay the same the whole time. I will, I will realize, like, uh, this person's probably a lot more aggressive than passive, and I originally referred to them as mousy, maybe instead they should be sharp. And so it's like words like that, that that start explaining their personality. So yeah, I try to I try to start with just some basic terms, build from there. And a lot of it shakes out as as I'm fleshing out their ideals and their bonds. The other thing is I just try to look at what characters are nearby or like relevant in the campaign. And I try to spread things out. I Granted, my campaigns tend to be pretty larger than life, kind of. I really lean into really eccentric, really out there NPCs that are, are it, I, I compensate for my inability to do great voices by instead making the NPCs very distinctive in their personality. So good. And so I'll look at what personalities are already kind of in the mix in this segment of the campaign, and I will just try to reach for the furthest away that I can get. Uh, I also love 
remixing what you would expect. So a very loud, exciting librarian or a very meek and shy politician. And I think that these things are excellent for setting up more interesting dynamics between other characters and between the player characters and the other NPCs. I like the idea of keeping it spread as far as personalities go. So you don't accidentally have an entire town full of like solid, depressed teenage boys or something. I don't know. Something that's just like everyone in this town is the same and it's shitty and not fun to interact with. Sounds like where I grew up. <laughs> um, as far as personality goes, if the character is fully fleshed out ahead of time and is a major NPC and I'm putting a lot of thought into their ideals and motivations and personality traits, I do the exact same thing. I try to make sure that there is something that surprises the players about this NPC, something turned on its head, and that it's different from everyone else in the town in some way. When it comes to improv stuff, though, what's really handy is just pulling up straight up a list of descriptors things like oh my god i could do it now like an attitude wheel i could use an attitude wheel just just for how i should be on any given day oh yeah um <laughs> therapy who needs it uh <laughs> <laughs> please no uh the atlas wait is this not therapy? therapy no wait please no <laughs> this is i'm not paid for this um please see your therapist anyway uh <laughs> that was for you not the audience okay <laughs> if i were to look up a I, I, and I was struggling for the word adjective here because I didn't do well in elementary school, I guess. If I look up just a wheel of different descriptor words, it starts with maybe five or six grand ones like happy, sad, disgusted, angry, fearful, bad. I don't entirely know what that means. I guess just bad moods. And then just bad as one. in to the bone. Bad as in Michael Jackson bad. Oh, um, damn. <laughs> so pick some words, right? Inquisitive is a good one. Astonished. The more syllables, the better. Uh, revolted. Something to set a baseline of how this NPC just is in general or their attitude towards your characters. Because not all NPCs are going to be friendly towards the characters right away. Some of them are just straight up not going to like your, your, your party. And then use that as the basis for their personality. So if you come up to a innkeeper, right, and you pick a random word off this wheel and it says overwhelmed, which is part of that bad category, you can just be like you know describe how the innkeeper is bustling from place to place uh how they keep like throwing commands over their shoulder from across the bar over to the chef in the back how they are currently holding seven tankards at once as they rush up to your party and say sorry how many something like that where that that all of a sudden is the core of their personality and the rest just kind of takes care of itself uh, so that's a good way to improv it i i spend a lot of time on tvtropes.org just picking at tropes and then deciding to throw them into my story in some place or another, either as a PC or as an NPC. So for instance, if I were to take the idea of a boy who is very full of energy and very passionate about something, and then ask myself questions about that, be like, okay, what are they passionate about? How are they going to convey this to the party members? How did they get this way? A lot of world building is just asking yourself questions to follow up on some seedling of an idea and using those questions to flesh out the rest of the concept. Um, so going on and looking at tropes, it's not a bad thing. Like you can always fall back on those, and honestly, to some ex to, to some extent, your party expects it. Not every single NPC needs to be the single most interesting character that anyone has ever created. In fact, they mostly shouldn't be. Not not everybody in a world is this larger than life, incredible character that you could write an entire book and they'd be the main character. I, I find that as a DM who likes to do a lot of homebrew and likes to do a lot of custom campaigns, 
you gotta be careful to not just accidentally write a book. Like you gotta be <laughs> careful to not accidentally just write a novel and you're making the main character. And so you're putting a whole bunch of effort into that. The NPCs should be interesting and compelling enough, but just interesting and compelling enough. Unless they are supposed to be a character that is going to be expanded upon and revisited and all sorts of stuff. Or your player characters just fall in love with them and now you need to make them a whole lot better. But it is perfectly reasonable and, as Diana said, perfectly helpful to lean on player expectations rather than constantly trying to subvert player expectations. Because sometimes they're just looking for the confused young intern who is in over their head at some facility that can be manipulated the most easy, like the easiest into getting access to a room you shouldn't have been able to get access to. You know, like the flustered, the flustered uh, host who is like, oh, oh, okay, yes, oh, of course, uh, that you can like, you know, really intimidate rather than making a whole bunch of big characters that are all extraordinarily fleshed out and strong in their own right. You gotta have, you gotta have that mix. Tropes exist for a reason, right? Like tropes exist because they are compelling. They're often understandable in storytelling. I guess a better term would be archetypes. Having having the expected cast that would be in wherever you're at for the purposes of your players being able to navigate, finding who they're looking for, accomplishing their task. They they need that help too. They need that sort of social infrastructure that lends itself to events playing out as one might hope in, in, in either an interesting way or a creative way. Or even a boring way. Not every, like, Sometimes you just got to be a little boring. But if you don't have characters that are accessible to some degree and understandable to some degree, it's going to be that much harder for your players to make heads or tails of what kind of dynamics they should be seeking out and doing right now. Because they're, the, they're the, the main characters, kind of. <laughs> they are the main characters, but you also, of course, need to put them in their place. But they are the ones who are supposed to be getting the enjoyment out of this, not your NPCs. So giving them the agency to exist in the world with your NPCs, giving them that accessibility and that little little step up towards here's how you can approach these situations. These NPCs will act accordingly. You can kind of have some safety in that. That's important as well. Yeah. For more instructions how to on uh, how to put your NPCs in their place, please refer to the beginning of this podcast. Going off of what you said about NPCs who aren't necessarily like game changing or particularly in depth, but that just have a role to play in your character's story, that's a really easy way to make sure that your characters actually give a shit about a certain NPC is by making them have some sort of connection. Uh, maybe one of these NPCs is the aunt of one of your PCs, or maybe they work for the church that your PC is a devotee of the god to a uh, fuck how do i say that sentence <laughs> or maybe they work for as a, a parishioner church. wait what the fuck yeah how do i say works for but like in a i mean you could say is a is is a clergyman <laughs> maybe an npc is a clergyman of a pc's church maybe they worship the same god uh, maybe they have something that the party wants you know for instance they run the local tavern they're a quest giver they take care of the party's horses while they're away something like that is a really easy way to basically guarantee that your party is going to care about this npc if that's the type of connection you want to foster is by making them useful otherwise your party has no reason to give a shit they have no reason to care about this particular npc and so it kind of depends on if you want that if you want to approach things 
by that angle and you want to make that connection more enticing. You could also go the other way and make it so that your party absolutely does not care about a certain NPC if you want to avoid a Boblin the Goblin situation, you know, and make sure that your party doesn't pick up on some random guy in a tavern and then attach to him with a death grip. You can just make him uninteresting, make sure that he has no reason to intertwine with the players. He's still an active part of the world, but it doesn't really matter. He's just like a farmer or a random goblin in the corner of a tavern or something like that. Really, you hold all the power when it comes to what degree of interest your PCs could potentially take in these NPCs. I think that is critically important, too. Like, as you were saying, you have, you're trying to tune into the level of interest and care that the PCs have of the NPCs. It partially depends on how, on who is in your, your player group, right? Like, some, some, some groups are just going to be murder hobos. Like it's just it's just that's just what they want to do and you got to find other ways to get them out of that. But I think a really strong way to ground your player characters in the world is having those connections. Is giving them a reason to care about small town number 3. Is giving them a reason to care about the well-being of the individual people here and make the threat against those people that much more visceral, possibly even personal, especially if as you said you could make people Bring in relationships, bring in mothers, aunts, cousins, long lost dogs. I don't know. I couldn't yep. think of another relation. No, that's great. That's perfect. <laughs> I, everybody's always got that long lost dog NPC for cool. sure. But I mean, also on that topic, it's worth it's worth talking about working with players to establish their pre-existing connections, where those people are in the world, who they are, what they do, what kind of power they have. And what that relationship is like. I'm going to again <laughs> pull from Blades, <laughs> uh-huh. which actually codifies this. In Blades, part of your character is you have a friend and a foe. And you're and that that's just built into the character creation. And I think it's a thing that should happen in every single tabletop. Everything, if you make a character, at least come up with one one friend, one contact. It could even be a frenemy kind of thing, like a begrudging contact. Any any kind of dynamic, as long as it's a sort of like a person you can actually go to and they won't try to kill you on sight. <laughs> and then a an enemy, a foe, someone who's either out there actively seeking you, or if you were in a room together, it would surely change the dynamic of the situation. Or they're out to get you. <laughs> or if they ever they told you if they ever saw you again, they were gonna kill you on sight. Having that, first of all, as a DM, chef's kiss. I want Please. that shit. Yeah. I'm going to put them somewhere. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reward you with that good friendship and I'm going to punish you with that negative one. But it also helps quite a lot for the other players to get a better sense of your of your player character when you have that chance to expose your player character history through that relationship with the NPC. And again, that grounding in reality and that that grounding of your character's story, tying it closer into the world. So it's so much less abstract. It's not, I'm sitting at a table playing a, a tabletop game. It is, I am portraying a character as a part of this story in this world. That That is such a distinct difference. And I think it makes it makes all the difference in the quality of the shared experience, I think. Oh my god, yeah. And of course, it goes back to the same thing that we always talk about in pretty much every episode of this podcast, I'm assuming, because we've only done two episodes so far, and most of them aren't going to see the light of day. However... Fruit snacks? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Because I love fruit snacks. We talk about them all the time. Welches? All the time. Fucking yeah. amazing. The Scooby Snack, Scooby-Doo fruit snacks. Do you actually have fruit snacks? Audience, Endeavor is currently flaunting his fruit snacks to me. 
Um, unbelievable. The ASMR of it opening. Okay, well, now you're just showing off. I hmm. He just cased a pack of fruit snacks. Sponsored, by the way. <laughs> God damn it. Welches, hit us up. Welches, please. We're desperate. I'm actively chewing. <laughs> Great Welches. podcast audio. This this organic advertisement, can't get, you can't beat it. Please, give us money. <laughs> Send us an email to fruitsnacks at theatlasloom.com. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, everything, something that we talk about every episode is... Is getting your players to do your world-building work for you. <laughs> and honestly, you should yeah. be pushing your players to do this. If you have some rogue who comes in and they're like, oh, my, all my family is dead. And I have no earthly connections. Um, please, for the love of God, try and push your characters to not do that and have at least one or two worldly connections alongside some motivations and how they relate to those people. Um, because that payoff is so good when you walk into a local bookstore at a town that you're, one of your player characters is from and native to and having that player character walk in and be like, hey, George, what's up? Can you point us in this direction? <laughs> and then George being like, oh, yeah, hey, how's it been? How's the family? How's that lost dog that you lost several years ago? <laughs> Long lost dog. Long lost or dog. even better, they call the player character by a different name than the party knows them as. Even better, yeah. And what's even cooler, and this takes some more work, but having it so that multiple players know the same NPC but don't realize it. One mm. NP, one player character's friend is another player character's mortal enemy or some such thing. So good. Absolutely. So good. And and to your to to your point of, you know, the rogue that has no earthly tethers, blah, 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 blah. I think it's inarguable that a rogue who has no earthly connections because they want to believe that versus the reality of they left something behind that is a catastrophe. And so they're essentially trying to tell themselves and tell the world, I am a loner who don't need nobody. I've got no one. I'm, you know, alone in this world. What did they do? Why is it that way? And who got scorned from it? Oh, that that gives you your answer right there. That's so that like you, you can take if they want that motivation, you can take that and run with it. It does require them to be open to expanding further beyond. I'm the dark hooded figure in the corner of the tavern. But <laughs> it's such a good payoff. Oh, uh, I have such a good tangential thing that I want to talk about. And I think I'll do it on TikTok instead because it's a direct spoiler for Curse of Strahd. And also it doesn't actually relate to what we're talking about directly. But holy <laughs> shit. Huh. I got such good ideas. Such good thoughts. Hey, Diana. Yo. Do you want to talk about death? Yeah, all the time. It's perpetually Hell on yeah. my mind. Mortality and the the crushing weight of the fact that our lives have are functionally hourglasses and <laughs> the 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 constant looming threat of sudden death at any given point in time I love talking about it it's my favorite subject it's what gives us meaning and it's 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 a reminder of just how much we appreciate you listening to this episode dear listener uh because you're gonna die eventually and you spent some of your not dying time listening to us or maybe you're dying i don't know i'm not your dad um <laughs> this rolls right into that headstone advertisement that we were gonna do uh <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by Welch's. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk a bit about already dead NPCs. Oh. Because there's, there's a big difference between a story about an old hero or a character or something and actually working through what that NPC or character did during their lifetime and how their death impacted the world and the other related NPCs. Now, of course, this is going to be a thing that is 
far more specific and tailored. You're probably not going to be coming up with a million dead NPCs to have the entirety of your world's history mapped out in all perfection, but it's not unlikely that a major character in the plot or a player character's contact is dead. And there's so much more than just they're dead now that you can go into with that and get value out of it. Yeah, they're not actively participating in the roleplay scenes because they've kicked it, but other NPCs knowing about that character, having had interactions with them, and again, leading into the validity of the existing relationship there or the relationship between a player character and the NPC or leading up to a mystery, perhaps, that this person was involved in to some degree. You, could have, you have so much room to work with, with a dead person, a, an NPC who tells a story without saying a word. And it's a thing that's really difficult to, th to think about in the first place, because how do you tell a story without having a character tell the story? I'd argue that when you're working with dead NPCs, work backwards. So things like starting from where that NPC's legacy is and what place they have in the current timeline, in the current storyline, and then asking yourself questions from there. So for instance, and all I'm thinking about is Curse of Strahd right now, which I know <laughs> would be a spoiler for you. So I'm going to try and think of some other some other example off the top of the... No, no it's a totally different campaign. Curse of Strahd. Oh, God. Those are our, uh, our, our lovely listeners who who aren't aware. Uh, Dev is in my Curse of Strahd campaign and has never played it before. So this entire podcast is me struggling to come up with good examples of things that don't relate to Curse of Strahd for the sake of spoilers. Hello, it's me, the one that ruins this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Take, for example, a saint, right? In some world. Stop smiling at me like that. You're throwing no, no, me no, no, off. No, 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 no. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling because Flynn, and Flynn was just let out and he's running around the backyard barking his head off. Oh. And he's barking enough that my mic is picking him up. I'm like watching the meter as he's barking. Really? Oh, that's, that's so smiling. sweet. That's adorable. Stay tuned for the next episode where we have Flynn on as a special guest. Oh my god, he's the best role player. He's so good. Um, he rolls. He rolls all the time. <laughs> Better than anyone. God damn it. <laughs> so, so death. So death, right? If you have a dead NPC, you have their legacy, and you have a reason that they are dead. A reason that they exist. Take that reason and use it as your nucleus. I'm going to use the word nucleus a lot because I was a bio major, a zoology major. Give me a fucking break. Nucleus, right? Great vocab word. Great starting point. Take, for example, a, a saint of a certain religion that your PC happens to be a part of. Maybe there's a quest related to an item named after this saint. You don't have to flesh out the entire NPC, but you do have to state why does it, the MacGuffin take that particular form? Is it a mace? Is it a gemstone? If so, why? What virtues did that person have that elevated them to sainthood? What defining event in their life made them the way they were up until the point of their death? And how does that relate to the storyline and to the flavor around that story? I'd argue that's really all you need. You don't have to go into like what the dead person looked like unless the person, the PC walks into a church and sees you know, fresco paintings or stained glass portraits of this person. But beyond that, really just keep it very narrow and very focused to their role in the story and how who they were at the time of their death shapes into the PSC's current motivations. That's very generic advice. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you want to make a good NPC, what you should do is think about what makes a good NPC and make that NPC. Yeah. Exactly. Welcome to the Atlas Loom, where we talk in circles for about an hour straight. <laughs> hey, that's content, baby. <laughs> uh, I think there's one other thing about dead NPCs, though, that's pretty helpful to a, a good reason to flesh them out just a smidge, which is in many games, 
which people who listen to this podcast may play. There is some concept of talking to dead people. Oh. Or ghosts. Having ghosts of dead NPCs be a thing. Very, very fun. And having to not completely come up with everything about a character who is dead and useful to talk to after they're dead. Also quite helpful. I'm just trying to give you reasons to have more work to do uh, <laughs> by way of having to flesh out your dead characters as well as your alive characters. But in reality, it, it really does come up more often than more often than I expected when I started DMing. And maybe that's my fault for having too many dead people, but it sure does help to actually think a little bit more besides like, oh, this person's husband's dead. Oh, well, who was he? It's like, you should probably have some something there for it, you know? All of Deb's storylines just slowly devolve into the plot of The Sixth Sense, given enough time. Mm, yeah, and specifically all of my NPCs are based off of Bruce Willis. <laughs> they all look like him, men and women of all races, Bruce Willis. Dude, just I a would... a whole bunch of willies. <laughs> okay, well, welcome to the Atlas Loom, where we talk about a whole bunch of willies. Um... <laughs> More willies than you'd expect. That's oh. the that's the name of this episode. My God. That is also another thing you can do for NPCs. If you're real lazy about it, just take some character from media and reskin them and make them your character. Copy their accent, copy their their mannerisms, their vibe, their demeanor, their looks, and just make that a thing. The amount of times that I've made oh god, who's <laughs> the the amount of times that I've made John Wick into an NPC <laughs> in my stories is absurd to the point that it's a running bit. So be careful whose dogs you kill, I guess, uh, in my care campaigns. <laughs> Where the fuck was I going with this before we started talking about Bruce Willis? I don't know, but I'm about to go watch some John Wick tonight. Oh, it's so good, dude. Uh, we talked about it. My my stream last night turned into a John Wick stream by accident because it's my favorite series of all time. And holy shit. <laughs> Perfection. Keanu Reeves. Oh, amazing. Well, as always, we could talk about this for literally forever. I'm sure these, this sound, uh, say the fucking God, the audacity recording for this episode is going to be like an hour long and poor Dev has to sift through it. In any case, thank you so much for listening. It has been my pleasure to host you all. Uh, once again, my name is Diana, also known as Diana of the Rose on all social media. I am a TTRPG creator, streamer, and all that fun stuff. I am joined by Endeavor and Steph. Do you want to talk about yourself for a hot sec? Nope. All right, cool. This has been the Atlas. Please do. Please. <laughs> this is fine. I can't do this myself. My name is Endeavorance. Find everything that I do at endeavorance.camp. I am on TikTok, YouTube, all I'm on I'm on the internet. You can I'm I'm there. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. This is the Atlas Loom. Keep on weaving your worlds. We will see you in the next one.